right, uh, so back to Ephesians and chapter 2. Ephesians and chapter 2. Before I read verse 11 and 12 that I am preaching from this uh, morning, as we look at the title, Without Hope and Without God in the World, let me just remind us of the ground that we are covering. Uh, we are going through this letter of Paul to the Ephesians under the title of um, Celebrating the Unsearchable Riches of Christ. Celebrating. And I'm hoping that that theme will be maintained. We are not just studying. We are deliberately wanting to celebrate because they are unsearchable riches. And that phrase is not meant that we cannot search them out, but we cannot search them out to exhaustion. We can't do that. And uh, for a while now, we have been in this section from chapter 1, verse 19, all the way to chapter 2 and verse 10, in which the Apostle Paul is comparing God's power in Christ to the power that he exhibits when he is making us to be Christians. And it was fairly evident when in chapter 1, verse 19, he said, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? It is that power that is ultimately taking us to heaven. We saw how Christ was dead, God raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And we saw that we were also dead, and by God's kindness, by his grace, by his mercy, and by his love, he also raised us from death and in fact seated us also in the heavenlies. Now granted, we are still here on earth, but the point that the Apostle Paul is making is that this is where we are going and that power will get us there. That power will get us there. We had a slight detour the last time I preached. We looked at uh, whether these truths negate the free offer of salvation. That if we are speaking about the fact that God elected us in eternity, that uh, God in fact um, brings us to heaven, he raises us up, and that regeneration comes before uh, conversion. That first of all, it is that God infuses this spiritual life into us by his mercy, and then we respond by repentance and faith. Are we not negating the free offer of the gospel? Uh, that was an entire sermon when I was last here in the pulpit, and I don't need to go through it again. It's over there uh, on the internet now. It's on our various uh, sites. It's on uh, sermon audio. You can go there and read it. The Apostle Paul, in the passage we are about to study together, verse 11 downwards, transitions 
from dealing with uh, our appreciation of the power of God that indeed makes us what he calls here God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He transitions from that and now speaks about the unity that is there in the Christian church. That all of us who are God's children are individuals that uh, have a share in the Christian church. We all do. We, we are not, as it were, visitors sitting uh, somewhere in the back and leaving the church to those others who own it. If we have genuinely repented, if we have genuinely believed in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are individuals who are partakers and participants of the Christian church. We've got a stake in it. The church is ours as much as the church is for our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's dealing with from verse 11 down to the end of this chapter. And the main way in which he's dealing with it is with respect to Gentiles and Jews, which at that time was a major division between people who came together in the Christian church. The Gentiles on one hand and the Jews on the other. And I hope we shall see how he deals with this matter. However, as he begins, he begins with those of us who are Gentiles. And he wants to remind us of how initially we were without hope and without God in the world. So let me just quickly read that in verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11 and verse 12. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. For the sake of completion, I'll just add the next verse or two. So remember that at one time, this is the way you were, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the picture has now changed. But once upon a time, the way in which you were, you were in a very desperate situation without hope and without God in this world. In other words, we need to appreciate, brethren, how privileged we are today. How privileged we are in having been born after Jesus Christ had already died on the cross. How privileged we are today that we live after Pentecost, 
after the Spirit of God had already come into this world. We are truly a privileged people that God brought us into human existence after Calvary because prior to that, it was a different situation. And if we ever take our Christianity for granted, today's message should be a wake-up call. God has brought us into this world at a time that is really a season of grace here, even in Africa. Let's quickly look at the way in which the Apostle Paul opens this up. He begins with what I'm calling in my notes here a separation by human attitude. A separation by human attitude. And uh, this is what he mentions in verse 11. Verse 11. When he says there, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, then this is the attitude. I'll soon enable you to see it. Called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. First of all, I want you to notice the issue of time. The Apostle Paul there says, remember that at one time. What is that at one time? He's referring to the period prior to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There was a difference in the way in which God was dealing with the world prior to that and the way in which God is now dealing with the world after the coming of the Holy Spirit, after the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, the church is one, but it has gone through two completely different phases across history. And I always liken it to a baby, a baby in the womb and a baby outside the womb. It is the same baby. And that is the reason why abortion is murder. You've actually killed a human being. We must never make that light by speaking in terms of, you know, my body, my body. It's not your body. It is a real human being who comes into existence at conception. The difference is simply that in the first phase, that human being is in your body. But it's a very real human being. Feeding in a different way, having oxygen in a different way, getting rid of whatever body fluids and feces and so on in a different way. Then comes another phase. And it is the phase when the baby comes out of the human body and begins to live its own independent life. Well, 
not from the word go, but you understand what I mean by independent life, breathing on his or her own, and so on. Well, that aspect of phases is exactly what we are dealing with here. There was a phase when God deliberately limited his outward saving grace to a people that were referred to as the people of Israel. And consequently, they always thought in terms of us and them, who are the them, every other nation and people and language on the planet. And therefore, they referred to them as Gentiles. Gentiles. Uh, Gentiles never called themselves Gentiles. We, we didn't call ourselves Gentiles, did we? No, we called ourselves by our own tribes. We didn't think we were all bunched together as Gentiles. But there was one nation, the nation of the Jews, that spoke in terms of us and them. And the them that was the rest of the world, and it was the Gentiles. Well, when speaking about the them and us, there was a kind of superiority attitude and complex. So it's, it's them, these Gentiles. And that's what is captured by that phrase, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. And then Paul finishes it off with the tongue-in-cheek when he adds, which is made in the flesh by hands. In other words, it's completely superficial. It is that does not change a person's spiritual state at all. But still, the people that were the Jews used to refer to everybody else, I'll, leave, I'll give you the actual words, they used to refer to them, or rather to us, as Gentile dogs. Now please don't go and start shooting them down. But that was the superiority attitude. These Gentile dogs, these uncircumcised dogs, that attitude inevitably caused a separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. So that even when they had the tabernacle and later on they developed the temple, the, the, the Gentiles who identified themselves with the God of Israel had an outer court that they used to occupy. It was called the Gentiles' court. They were not allowed to get into the inner part of the temple. No! Why? It was them and us. Us and them. They were outsiders. It was therefore a very demeaning attitude that was there. And in a sense, friends, what was true then in terms of attitudes continues even today among ourselves. 
very superficial attitudes that we then import even into the context of the church. You find, for instance, going back a number of years when slavery was very, very real as part of life, you had slaves having their own place where they used to sit. They come to church quite okay with their masters, but it is again them and us. The, the, the understanding was uh, this church belongs to our masters and their families. Us, we are brought here so that we can at least hear the gospel. But it is not our church. And it can be like that also between people of different uh, races. Where again, those of a different race, we treat them as visitors. And those of us who are the majority in a particular race, we say this is the way we worship, this is the way we do things, and we are not going to change because you are just visitors. We do things as we please. And sometimes it's again to do with the rich and the poor, to do with the educated and the uneducated. Again, the attitude of superiority is more on the part of those with the money, those with the property, those with the cars, those with this and that, those with degrees and so on. Those are now the ones looking down on everybody else so that everybody else, the poor, the uneducated, are visitors. This does not really belong to them. This is ours, not theirs. So the problem that was there before Jesus Christ came is a problem that tends to rear its ugly head even after Jesus Christ has already come. And the apostles worked hard in the first century to break down this barrier. And they were doing it not simply because they wanted one church. They were doing it because of the facts that we will soon be looking at in the remainder of chapter 2. That Jesus Christ in his death has broken down all these superficial barriers. He's broken them down so that we are all one. We will wait until we get there. But that's the first barrier, the superficial barrier, a barrier of attitudes. But secondly, there is the real barrier, the real spiritual barrier that was there. And it was the spiritual separation because the Gentiles were outside Christ. They were outside Christ. And I want us to quickly notice that in verse 12. Verse 12, the first part. The Apostle Paul comes back and says, remember. In other words, I have digressed a little bit by going into this superficial attitude barrier. Let's come back to what I really had in mind. And it is this. Remember that you were 
that is at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. The main issue there is this separation from Christ. What does he mean by separation from Christ? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul actually explains in those next two phrases. When he says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. That's what he actually means. So to be separated from Christ, first of all, is referring to the fact that as Gentiles, we had no citizenship rights and privileges in the body corporate that was called Israel. We, we, we had no rights there. We, if, if I could use the example of somebody who is a foreigner in Zambia. That foreigner in Zambia cannot vote. They've got no rights to do so because they are merely visitors. They are strangers in that sense. The, the rights and privileges of citizens of this nation are deprived of them. And basically, that is the first meaning here. And then the second is that the Gentiles could not lay claim on the covenants that God had made with Israel's patriarchs, the fathers of Israel. God had made promises with uh, Abraham, with later on with Isaac, later on with Jacob, and those promises were for the people of Israel. They were for, for the children that came from those fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The, the, the Gentiles could simply say, well, that's theirs. We are not beneficiaries of that. Another example that I can give that makes the point is um, to do with adoption. If you stay with a family and they have actually not adopted you legally, well, what happens is when the uh, head of the home finally dies and they are now dividing out estates, that's it. You, you, you miss out. You miss out. Why? Because legally, you are not entitled to those estates. You may have benefited a little bit when you were staying there, but you are not entitled to that. And that's really the point that the Apostle Paul is making here. In fact, in the book of Romans and chapter 9, he makes this uh, case quite elaborate as he is bemoaning the state of Israel. That, you know, th they are entitled to so much because they are citizens of this kingdom where the Messiah was promised. The Christ was promised. 
as the final deliverer of his people. All the promises of God were to be fulfilled through this Messiah for his people. And yet look at them. Look at them. They are kicking at this Messiah. They are insulting this Messiah. They are killing the very people who are going to them saying, here is your Lord. They are rejecting him. Look at the way he puts it in chapter 9 of Romans. Chapter 9. He says there, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. My kinsmen, and notice, according to the flesh. Exactly what he kept saying a little earlier on in Ephesians. This aspect of in the flesh, in the flesh. They are, the, they are Israelites. And then he says, and to them belong the adoption. Otherwise, they've been brought into God's family. The glory, that glory that was being seen as of God in their very presence. The covenants that were made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The giving of the law. It was all given to them as a people. The worship in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. It was theirs given to them by God. And the promises, he says, all those that were promised within the covenants, they, were, they belong to these people who are my relatives, Paul is saying, in the flesh. To them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They can say, these are actually my great, 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 great grandparents. They can say it of a truth and from their race from Jewish blood according to the flesh is the Christ the very savior the messiah who is God over all blessed forever amen God has come into the world through their family Wow! You would think they would be falling over each other to, to embrace the gospel, the good news, to embrace the Savior himself. You'd think they would do it. And Paul is saying, sadly, they are not. Instead, they are rejected. They are rejected. It's like if I can again go back to the example I have used, it's like you have been brought up in a home that is very wealthy, very wealthy. And uh, before you even finish primary school, the guardian, the parent, dies. But he leaves his wealth 
with his children. Now you are all dispersed. You, you are poor. You are now struggling with school. Having to work during your school holidays in order to pay your school fees and so forth. And then those brothers and sisters that you were with in that home, they don't even want to go to school. They don't. You, you go to them, you tell them, look, for you, you don't even need to work. You, you, you can even go into international school. Your fees will be paid for times two. The money is sitting in the account. Now, not interested. Why should I waste my time getting red marks in my books because of some proud teacher? Hmm? When I, I can be by the roadside and beg and some people will give me something. It would break your heart, isn't it? To see these people who have been provided for richly and they are rejected. Well, that's what was happening with Paul here. He is saying, if anything, the Jews of all people should be the ones who should be embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, they are the very people who have rejected it in mass. Rejected it. Says, my heart bleeds for them. Well, what is positive in uh, Romans is negative in Ephesians. In other words, for us, we are now in the shoes of that person who is just watching. He's seeing the wealth that belongs to the Jews, to Israel, and is saying, well, I am content to simply be in the outer court. In the outer court. You remember when Jesus Christ came on earth and uh, there was uh, a lady, uh, a Syrophoenician woman, who came to him asking that he could heal uh, her. And Jesus' response was that, hey, I have not come for the Gentiles. I have come for the children of Israel, the lost children of Israel. And the woman said, you know, even a dog eats the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus says, wow, look at the kind of faith that this woman has. And consequently, he performed the miracle for her. But this is the point, that at that time, friends, we were exactly, you might not like it, but exactly what happens at your home when the dogs are waiting for what might fall off the table. And some of you who are more sympathetic while you are eating the fish from the bone, you throw it to the dog, and the dog feels very privileged. You can almost see it go, thank you. Thank you. As it takes that bone and goes and starts chewing it. That's the way it was for the Gentiles. Even when 
they became, if you read the book of, the, the book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul and others would be preaching at the synagogues, they would speak about those who they called worshippers of God. Worshippers of God. That refers to the Gentiles who used to go to the synagogue, but they would be in the outer court. That's where they would be, in the outer court, because it was like exactly this. This is not actually for us. But because we want to be beneficiaries, we will still be here, even if they are calling us, whatever they are calling us as outsiders, at least we'll still be here and benefit something. What a state we were in, friends, once upon a time. And may I add, for thousands of years. Thousands of years. The Apostle Paul ends by showing us the consequences, the dare spiritual consequences of this position. And he puts it this way in those words that make up the title of my sermon. End of verse 12. End of verse 12. Having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. The issue of hope speaks in terms of a better future. That's what hope is about. It is a better future. The member said, Tukababuino kuntanshi. In other words, it's okay for us to go through what we are going through now. At least the future is promising. Well, what he's saying is that as Gentiles, we did not have that. Our future was bleak. We were never looking forward to a final resurrection when we would enter into God's glory and consequently spend eternity with him. Pardoned of all our sins. It was not there at all. There was only one end that we anticipated. And it is to finally be thrown in hell and be punished for our sins forever. That's it. That's it. And the main reason why was because we were without God in the world. Without God in the world. We could not speak in terms of, I know that in all things, God works for my good because I am in that category of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. We could not speak in those terms. We had no living relationship with the living God. To walk with us. To guide us through the trials of life. To know that when this life is over, he will bring me into his home. Rather, our ancestors were worshipping dead idols. Trees and mountains and things they've curved out that perhaps might, might look honorable. But those things, they, they could not speak. Those things, they couldn't hear our prayers. They are dead. How can the living 
find hope in the dead. How? We were without hope and without God in the world. I was speaking about the divisions that we normally have that are superficial, but they are there. A person who is born a slave can fight hard finally to be free. In Israel, in fact, there was the year of jubilee. If you sold yourself because of poverty as a slave to others, you looked forward to the year of jubilee. When the year of jubilee came, you were not only given back your freedom, but your land, which was your inheritance, which you sold, had to be given back to you. It was pressing a restart button, and everything would come back to normal. What we do these days when your computer is misbehaving, you've tried this, you've tried that, it's okay. Switch off. And then, after you've counted up to ten, switch on. Everything comes back to first position, and you are able to go forward again. They had that opportunity, and therefore, there was still hope. I was speaking about uh, the rich and the poor. Exactly the same thing. You may have been born and brought up in... Uh, uh, a typical compound where there is no water, running water, no electricity, no sewer system, and everything else. And just across the road is Amayad. But you can still say, if I just work hard in school, one day it's me who's going to be coming out of that gate in my tinted metallic gray. They still hope. But friends, before Christ came, for us, there was nothing like that. At one time, our four parents died without Christ, without hope, without God. Once upon it was a dire situation. But thankfully, the message of Paul, that's why I read verse 13, is that the situation has now changed. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who, were once, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, through Calvary, we no longer as Gentiles are without hope, without God in this world. We are no longer individuals that will simply be looking at others and saying at least they've allowed us in the outer court, therefore we should be content. It's, it's, the picture has completely changed. Jew and Gentile, if I can use the picture of citizenship, are all entitled to one vote. All of us. We are now fellow members of the household of God. What a privileged people we are now. That we uh, have come in 
at the point where, remember the picture of the baby. The baby is no longer in the womb. The baby is now on the outside. That's where we have come in. What a privileged people we are. We must really appreciate that. Well, as I close, one or two points of application. First of all, we were without hope. We were without God in the world. And all that awaited us was dark gloom. That's all. The state in which our four parents were, darkness and gloom. Brethren, we ought to be grateful for Calvary. We ought to be grateful for Pentecost. We ought to be grateful that the church is ours. The church is ours. We are members of the household. We ought to feel that way. We ought to rejoice in that fact. You know, when you, you, you have someone who's born in a family and somebody who's sort of just been brought in as though to say, you, you better know that you are really privileged here, so behave yourself. You can even see the way they behave in the house. The ones who are the children of the home, they come from school. As soon as they open the door, in fact, they just sort of swing it wide open, throw their school bag there, kick their shoes, reach out for the remote, and already they want to watch the cartoons. Those others sort of arrive, I stand quiet. Off to the bedroom. And even just come out of the bedroom is hard work. You have to call them out. Because they feel, mm, you can make a mistake here. <laughs> if that's your attitude today with respect to the Christian church, where you, you, you just go as a visitor. Hmm? Just a visitor. You don't know who ushers, who cleans the place, who, who, who pays the pastor's salary, who, who does... You, you just, no, no. It's good enough that I'm seated here. Nobody's chasing me. That's wrong. The church is yours. Hundred percent. It's yours. You should be responsible for the church. There's no sort of first class, second class, and you, you are sort of economy class. Ah! -ah! You should be rejoicing because of the privilege of belonging to the people of God expressed in these localized entities called local churches. But let me also mention that the fact that we've got this phase that we are now in, where even us Gentiles, we, we, the many things that Paul was saying here about the Romans, those things are now ours, rather about the Jews, those things are now ours in Christ Jesus. They are. Once upon a time they were not. But now they are. 
We can speak in terms of the, the adoption is ours. The glory is ours. The covenants are ours. The law is ours. The worship is ours. The promises are ours. The patriarchs are ours. Etc. Etc. Jesus Christ is ours. As Gentiles, yes. Why? Because he died on the cross. In other words, I can go to a Gentile today. I can come to you today and say, come to Christ. Call upon Christ. Make Jesus your everything. Stop this nonsense that Christianity is a white man's religion. Nonsense. It's yours. He has died on the cross to make you his. So why are you still on the outside? Why? Why are you still sort of looking at the Christian faith as at a distance, as if it's, 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 it's for others, for others, and not for you? Why? When he has broken the barrier. It's like, you know, you, you are outside the room, and, and inside that room, the, the, there is a feast. The, the tables are creaking under the weight of the dainties, the, the, the foodstuff that is there. And on the outside, you can smell the, the, the aroma of, of the, the food the, that, that has been cooked there. And, and, and you're still sort of saying, well... You know, it's for those who belong to that house. Friend, who tells you that it's not for you? Who tells you? The phase when it was them and us finished long ago, 2,000 years ago. Today, you can just best open that door, walk in, and put your hand on that drumstick and thrust it into your mouth. It's yours. It's yours. Why starve and perish? Why? And keep hanging on to the froth and dew and mist of this world that ultimately never satisfy a soul and you know it. Come to Christ. Embrace him. All the promises of God will be yours. They are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. All the privileges of citizenship in the kingdom of God will all be yours. If you can have but Christ. I plead with you. Come to him today and have all the benefits of his kingdom. Amen.